Welcome to the Rust Belt Rundown, brought to you by Rust Belt Recruiting. This podcast is designed to shine a light on the meaningful work being done in Northeast Ohio and the surrounding region. We will convene manufacturing executives and Northeast Ohio business leaders for candid discussions about their business, regional happenings, industry trends, entrepreneurship, and more. Now, let's get running on The Rundown. Welcome, everyone, to Episode 57 of The Rust Belt Rundown, a production by Workforce LLC. I'm not your host, Taylor Evans, but I'm glad to be here in person today with your host, Paul O'Connor. Paul, welcome to the guest seat of the Rust Belt Rundown. As you know, I'm glad you're here. I like it better on this side. Yeah. It's a little bit easier, a little bit less pressure. Yeah, just see where the... See where the conversation goes. Mm-hmm. You don't have to guide it. It's on you. A lot of pressure yeah. on you. I think we've had... You recorded the first four episodes. No, our, Two episodes? our intern at the time who started this, Nick Fopiano, did the first four or five episodes, and I was a guest of one of those episodes, but really, this has been your baby. I did yeah, John Fusted, the lieutenant governor, once, yeah. but you've got about 50-ish of those episodes under your belt, so. Talk to us about why, this is one of the reasons you and I were friends immediately, because we both had a weird obsession with a number, mm-hmm. so talk to us about your 57 obsession, and my obsession is with number four. Yeah. Why is 57 your number? Yeah, so 57 And when I grew up playing football as a kid, I was number 56 as a youth football player, which was an homage to the great linebacker Lawrence Taylor. So, you know, not sure I was anything like him. Yeah, but but mentally, that's what you were trying to portray on the field is Lawrence Taylor energy. Yeah, definitely not trying to portray him off the field. (laughs) And then uh, I got the number 50. I don't know if I chose that or whatever, but I was cool with that middle of the roster. And then um, I missed Jersey handout day in like seventh or eighth grade. And Simon Longacre took 50. And I got just handed 57. But I ran with that number from there on. And it has been my lucky number since. The only other lucky number I would say I have that I grew up with as my lucky number was 24. That's a little bit of Ken Griffey mm. for you. What, what's his nickname? The something kid, right? Yeah. The, isn't it just Or like is it kid? the kid? Yeah. Not a baseball guy, but yeah. that's probably right. Yeah. But 24 was a big lucky number for me as well. So 24 and 57, I always like to see those around. And that was my first interaction with you as a human being. For people that don't know, when we committed to Ohio University we as committed. students, <laughs> as, as students, as student not managers, athletes. we committed. You had to join a Facebook group, and mm-hmm. then you join, yeah, like and then even underneath that class group, of there were multiple class of twenty eleven sport management or West Green or East Green. We're talking about OU, obviously, but like we joined that group. I think we might have joined like a sport management group slash basketball football sure. manager group. Mm-hmm. And so TSE 57 pops up and sends me a message and says, hey, probably something to the account of like, you're not from Ohio. I'm not from Ohio. Do you want to be friends when we go to Ohio? That type of messaging. And then we bickered about where to live Mm -hmm. for about probably months. I mean, we we went back and forth for a while. You were trying to sell me hard on on this topic last night (laughs) when we were talking about it. And neither of us budged. I ended up living on East. You ended up living on West. And then we somehow met in the middle week one or two of college. And from there, now we record a podcast for the business that you started. It was a long walk uh, back from East Green to West Green. So uh, thanks to our friend Mike Linden, I think I stole his mattress a lot and slept on the floor of your dorm, you know, in those winter nights in Athens. But uh, it was memorable. And so we've come a long way. 
Here a we are way. in a podcast studio talking about Athens, which today's episode isn't going to be Athens. That would be an episode unto itself. Um, and I don't even know if listeners would want to listen to it. It might just be for us. But we've both come a long way. Earlier this week, you sent me uh, an email, and uh, it was from Mark Manson. And amongst other things, it's like who we believe we are, right? And you thought this would be a good topic to kind of kick off the conversation. So we would have been graduating right about now 12 years ago from Athens. So it would be limiting to believe you're the same person as then. And I've seen many stages of your story in that time. But who are you? Like who like who have you made yourself into over these last 12 years and of course the years before that as well? Well, first off, let's give a let's give free shout outs to Mark Manson cuz he wrote my favorite book of all time, which is called The Subtle Art of Not Giving. An F. An F. It's a fantastic book. I can't recommend it enough. I'm 33 years old. It's the only book in my lifetime I've read twice. Hmm. Never read another book twice. It's like underlined and highlighted so i can't recommend that book enough and if you he, come do bedtime for our bedtime kids enough yeah i don't know uh, if that's you might, you the might leg. reread I don't a know. couple books yeah. so that book's amazing mark manson has a newsletter that goes out i think once a week and he asked this simple question and he talked about it maybe doing it in an interview because it is one of those questions that like you can stumble on and it shouldn't be it's kind of funny like who are you it seems pretty simple and you can go a simple route like it's all labels in our society, right? The easiest way is like, well, what do I do, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's everyone's first reaction. Right. Who are you? Well, what do I do? It's like, oh, well, I think of this funny. It's like, I take money from the people who have it and give it to the people who don't, aka I do fundraising for a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's like the first thing that very, pops very, to mind. Very basic. Basic, right. Terms. And then you can go, well, I'm a son, I'm a brother, I'm a husband, I'm not a father, you're a father, right? So I think it's easy to run through the labels of who you are. That's the easy way to answer the question. I think the harder way to answer the question is like, what do you believe in? How have your actions, thoughts, behaviors changed? And I think that's what you're getting at with your question. Yeah. Boomering it back to you though, like what, what are your kind of some of those identity words? I think I would describe it as I am a person who questions why things are the way they are. And I always laugh at the answer because a lot of the times the answer is, well, this is how we've always done it, which mm -hmm. is also a horrible way to answer a question. Or like, this is the way that it is. And so like, we can't change it, right? Yeah. I'm always I'm always trying to get people to give me the answer why. And I don't think for a lot of things in society of like how we've built them and where we are today in 2023, people have a really good answer. So I say all of that to say is like, I'm questioning because... At the end of the day, I want it to be better, mm -hmm. whatever it is. Yeah. Like it could be something as simple as like ordering something online or like your belief system or how we vote in this, like anything. It's like, well, why, why though? Why is it that way? Yeah. And if someone can't give you like an actually smart, educated answer on it, then it's like, well, then let's change it for the better. Well, they tell you the same with running a business. Like one of the most valuable windows of time in running a business is when an employee is in their first two weeks. And we like plead. Yeah. Sometimes with new employees, like, tell us what you see. You have a perfect perspective because it's like, why do you do it this way? And if our answer is because we've always done it this way, then that is unacceptable. Yeah. Right? Unless there there is like no questions asked. That is the right answer. Yeah, because it's the best way. It is the best way. We, we did the we, research. We worked through this. A, here's a why we did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Other than that, if it's like, well, we've never really thought about it, 
that's a great opportunity for even that new employee to lean into yeah, make and a say like, splash. hey, you want to make an early splash? This could be something you could put some thought into. You know, but Paul, I think you have always been a connector and a convener. You, to the uh, nth degree, understand the meaning of community. I think the word community could be tattooed on your forehead because whatever it is, whether it's your basketball community, whether it's your friend group, whether it's, um, of course, your career, you, you always pour into those, right? Well, cool. That's a fun topic to start on. So one of the things that I think is also true of you is that you are poly podcast, you know, and, uh, (laughs) you know, you, you, you enjoy spending time behind the microphone. I do think you have a, you know, you're not just a face for radio. Oh, uh, I was or waiting podcasting. for you to say it. No, I, I, I think we can put you in front of a camera. Maybe yeah. not today. But, you know, you have spent some awesome time behind the mic. And I think you have elements of your dad in that, you know, where you you know how to talk. You know how to engage. And we'll talk a little bit about your current career a little later. But talk to us about your journey in podcasting, which was podcasting a thing yet when we were in college? I think the first podcast got started um, maybe our sophomore, junior year, okay. which would have been so, 08, 09, yeah, it, was, 10. it was getting its legs. It was getting its legs, and it certainly didn't look like it looks like today, obviously. Yeah. The origin story, though, is you're spot on, right? I grew up with a father that spoke in front of people all the time. Yeah. Um, for the vast majority of his career. So I think I just got used to that concept. Um, And then I saw the joy that it brought him, not only if it was for work, but then he had his own college basketball radio show. So I started doing that in eighth grade. And that was the first test of it. Yeah, really. That that was the first time I ever said anything to the public about – any topic, right? And it probably was about <laughs> Duke, and I'm still talking about them on my own podcast. <laughs> but then it started to get a little bit more serious. So, you know, my dad ran a nonprofit, and he would have events all the time. And one of his events was called a celebrity breakfast, where he would find a celebrity and have them come down, and he would interview them in front of you know a room of 250 people. And eventually, he had me do that for Gino Oriema, um, the head women's basketball coach at UConn, and then Mark Teixeira, a longtime uh, Yankee first baseman. And those were, I mean, one, just insane experiences for me personally, just to be on stage with those mm-hmm. two. Is Gino your your probably most famous person? You've, you've had some big ones on the green light. <laughs> yeah. No, but Gino's, Gino. Gino's. Gino, it's hard to beat him. Not I mean, to diminish. I mean, no, he's, I mean, that's he's one of the Coach goats. K, Gino. Yeah. I mean, he's on the Rushmore. Yeah. So, no, that was, I don't think I'll ever beat that. And I love the challenge of asking a question and then having someone answer it. But then in that answer, like, diverting and kind of following down that rabbit hole and then bringing it back to the story. And so at the end of the day, I enjoy conversations and I enjoy learning. Like I want to learn someone else's perspective and understand why they see it that way. And so anyway, started with all that, did stand-up comedy for about a year in New York City. That was like the biggest check mark of my life that I wanted to try and do. Also the scariest thing you'll ever do. Um, I mean, public speaking on steroids, right? Mm -hmm. Got to be funny and people are expecting you to be funny and like, shut up and make me laugh type funny. (laughs) Uh, So stand-up comedy and then podcasting, right? So have the green light and then, uh, you know, COVID happens and we move to Columbus and uh, you have a podcast going and here we are. It made sense. 57 episodes later. (laughs) Yeah, we're talking to business owners across Ohio about the cool work that they do. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It's been a fun run. And, uh, you know, again, I mentioned his name earlier. Nick Fopiano was our intern summer 2020. And he told me, that this would be a good idea. I uh, wanted to give him a meaningful summer project and let him stand it up. But kudos to you. 
this has been just as fun to do with you, uh, you know, as as my best friend. Keep this thing going, and we've continued to make a thing of it. Yeah. And so it's been a lot of fun. One question for you is, you know, when you are hosting a podcast, how hard is it to stick to a relative script versus those rabbit holes you talked about, like wanting to, you know, go down, go down a, a, a path that someone's on? Because, you know, I don't think you've got the amount of time allotted like Joe Rogan, where it's three to four hours of just let's chat. And maybe he's still following a script. But how, how, how do you see that? I judge it based on people's answers. And so mm-hmm. you can tell right away when someone's passionate about like a question that we ask. And if I see that, it's like, oh, we should probably triple down here yeah. because they love We're talking about this. this. They, yeah, all of a sudden they like sat up in their chair and they're like, yes, I'm happy you asked this question. And so for things like that, you certainly, it, it's really all ends up being about the listener. Like what's going to be more fascinating or important or interesting for our listeners. So you take it for what it is in terms of where that person is passionate about and uh, who cares if you go down a rabbit hole? Like, it yeah. is what it is. Yeah. But to your actual, like, tactical question, like, that's part of it, right? And I always tell the guests on the rundown, and if they're listening, they, they would attest to this, is, like, tangents are encouraged, rants are encouraged. Like, it's my job to kind of flow us back mm-hmm. to the to the questions, and sometimes we do a better job than others. Yeah. So we, we touched upon it, and, you know, podcasting has become this industry, right? We're sitting in a podcast studio right now. And uh, that's awesome, right? It's it's become a really unique way to communicate. And and brands and companies are trying to leverage it uh, as well. You know, Rust Belt Recruiting and Workforce LLC, this is our podcast, right? And we want to give a platform uh, to people that are, you know, community and industry leaders to tell their story because we think that's important. We think you know, our company is more than just a, you know, transactional recruiting agency. We really want to champion the regional economy and make sure that our communities are strong by the way of the manufacturing workforce. But how have you seen companies leverage the power of podcasting to grow their business and to grow their brand in the local communities? Yeah, I think there's still opportunity even today, right? A lot of people will say, well, podcasts are somewhat saturated maybe four or five years ago, in which I completely disagree with. I actually think if you have a unique voice and Mm -hmm. value prop, it's such a way to stand out. And to your point, you know, it's a business development tool. Do you want to work with a particular company? Well, go and ask that person or someone in that C-suite to come on your podcast. And now, first of all, no one says no to that. Nobody. I don't think we've ever gotten a no. Um, And if it was, it was like scheduling and, hey, I can't do it for three, four months. Great. We'll see you in three, four months. But everybody wants to talk about their story, their journey, what they're doing, what they're working on. And so I think it's such a genius business development tool. And honestly, I think the companies that do it the best are just consistent. And that's why I think we've had success with the rundown is because, yeah, twice a month we release on Thursdays and people come to expect it right? Like who's coming on next? And you can create a little community around that. And so I think it's a genius branding tool, not only businessly, but personally, right? And now you're, you've gotten invited on a ton of podcasts. And I'm not saying that's because of ours. It's because of the work you do. But you having your own, they're like, oh, okay, great. Maybe we can have Taylor come on too. Like he would be interested in that. He knows kind of how this works. It goes a long way. Yeah. It's a cool way to connect with people. And when done correctly, which is your gift, it's a disarming way to connect with people. You get to hear their real truth. And, you know, we know it to be true that you're valuable part of this. And so 
You've made a number of people feel welcome on this podcast, and we've had some really good ones. But I, I know one of the things I asked you to think about was who are some of those best episodes that you've had so far in the 50 plus that you've recorded with the rundown? This is the hardest question of our episode. Mm-hmm. And I'm also putting out a disclaimer that I've loved all of them. Yes. I love all of, of you, course. all of the guests we have. Of but course. it there have been particular episodes. And we try to do this. And to be honest, I think we hit 100%. I always enjoy not being the smartest human in the room. Mm -hmm. And I think we're 57 for 57 there. And so there's a couple that stand out. First of all, episode 50 with Art from Jackie O's. That was in person. 50 episodes was a big milestone. Talking about Jackie O's from Athens to Columbus. That was amazing. That was really cool. Sam Friedman. Um... Talk about a incredibly intelligent. We talked about this yesterday. There's there are thousands of humans with an intellect that is above the average mm-hmm. human, but they can't communicate that well to other people. Mm-hmm. And I think we were talking about the Obama documentary, and it was like, man, he's one of the best communicators of all time. He knows how to disarm. He knows how to and forget Obama, but like people like that, right? Yeah. It's like if you're extremely intelligent and you can communicate your thought or belief or argument or whatever it is in that type of style. Where what it's, did we call it? Like approachable intelligence or. Maybe. Yeah, I forget. It'll but it's hard to, to do. And it's hard to be both, right? You you could you can meet a lot of like really good communicators and someone say, Oh, that's like a salesman, whatever, yeah. but they're not necessarily Or someone who intelligent who's either can't really can't communicate. communicate or when they do, it's like maybe it comes condescending off, yeah, or off putting. It's a fine know? line. Yeah. It's and it's approachable intelligence. I think is, yeah. is I like the gist that. of think, where yeah. we were. You I know, think we like, coined that. Yeah, I think a lot of people on our podcast have that, and yeah. I think that's what makes them so successful. But Sam was one of those. Hard not to say Justin Bibb. I yeah. mean, that was amazing, and we, you know, we had him on obviously before he got elected. As he was, as he was yeah, launching it, which was amazing. Tanya Budler, uh, she was fantastic. I learned an insane amount that episode. I mean, it's hard to pick five, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what were some from your point of view as a listener that yeah. stood out? Well, you know, I know. Earlier on, we had Brandon Krastowski from Edwins. And, you know, anyone in Northeast Ohio who hasn't been to Edwins needs to go, like, today, yesterday. Um, So Brandon is, you know, a James Beard Award finalist. Something that I carry with me from that episode is you asked him about, like, expanding into other markets, right? And he basically said, we'd rather go deeper here yeah, than, than wide. wider. Yep. And, you know, the people that. who we train up and launch out into the world are our product, which is awesome. But I, I just really appreciated that philosophy of go deeper where you are, you know, yeah. dig in. So I really respected that. And then, of course, um, I think the person who really this came up about was the episode with Michael Seattle, where Michael was able to uh, talk through the semiconductor industry in such an approachable way, where it's like I walked away and that's one of those episodes that I listened to twice. You know, yeah. I listened to most of the episodes once and once through. Yeah, and you could learn two or three new things almost yeah, every Yeah, you know, time his episode, I was like, I could keep coming back to this and picking up something new. So yeah. really glad we had Michael on. He's he's uh, a brilliant guy and uh, was an awesome addition. You've, you've had a lot of 
conversations about Northeast Ohio at this point. And, you know, when we were in Athens, we dealt with all of these Cleveland, Cleveland. kids yep. who were always talking to us about Cleveland. And we're like, what are you talking about? You know, like all you guys do is talk about Cleveland. Now that I'm here, all I like to do is talk about Cleveland. <laughs> You've become I, a Cleveland I, kid. Yeah, it's it's branded on my heart. I don't even know if I told you this, but I think it was cool. My mom sent me uh, a message like maybe it was like my great, great grandmother. So like l- a little further out mm-hmm. and maybe like my great grandfather, something. We're both born in Cleveland. So at some level, me moving here is kind of like LeBron when he came back to Northeast <laughs> Ohio, you know, the whole coming home thing. Yep. Just was, 120 years later. Yeah, you're you know, I mean, it was... They were waiting for you just like... But, yeah, they got to put a sign up. But we're back, yeah, right? We're back. And so, you know, hopefully they put back. my banner up on the side of the soon-to-be sh- former Sherwin building. Mm. Um, They're getting a new building. Yeah, and it's going to be fantastic. Love um, Which, love to see buildings going up in our skyline. Anyway, you've probably heard a lot about Northeast Ohio at this point. What stands out to you about Northeast Ohio from all of the conversations that you've had? Passion. Yeah. I mean, it's like the easiest answer of all time. There's no more passionate people about their culture, their food, their diversity, their city, their sports teams. Let me repeat that. Their sports (laughs) teams. I, I have made this argument now. I've come to the conclusion, like, there's not a better fan base. Forget the actual individual sport. I'm just lumping Cleveland. Yeah, you're a Cleveland sports fan. Yeah. Um, there can't be a more passionate fan base because you guys have been through it all. Hell. Like multiple times and back. Your you teams have left, your teams have come back. Like you guys have been through stuff that no one's been through. And yet every opening day, every first NBA game, every, I mean, you got season ticket waiting list. Like you guys keep going. And I think that speaks to it, right? Cleveland's a tough city. Cleveland is a gritty city. We talk about the brand of Rust Belt coming back, you know, for a hundred years. Like the people that come here and made it like Steve Harvey, Cleveland, there's a lot of like famous people that like people don't realize are actually from here. You know, they they love it, right? Yeah. And they and they rep it proudly, you know, and that's that's an amazing thing. Not everyone does that, right? Like I'm from Trumbull, Connecticut. I'm not like super pumped about yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, Connecticut's great, but yeah. I'm not like, let's go. You know, like we don't have that. And not every you state tried. does. You try. Yeah, I did try. Connecticut. Um, but not every state has that really. Like, so I think that that's what stands out. It's, it's interesting having grown up in Pennsylvania and yeah. Pennsylvania has Pittsburgh in Philly. There's not Pennsylvania pride. And I think this will be a good segue into our next connect. Or That's a next, good point. Next one. Ohio is proud to be Ohio. First as and mo- foremost. First and foremost. Yeah. Or flip-flop it, right? If you're proud of your city first, that's fine, right? But nonetheless, people from Ohio are proud of both their cities and their state. And uh, that's a notable difference from being one state over from Pennsylvania. Yeah. But I, I agree, Paul. Like, Cleveland is... Cleveland has taken it on the chin over the years, and yet the people here continue to fight to make this the, you know, as Beiju Shaw at GCP would say, you know, a, a great region on a great lake. And we are trying, right? And that is noble. Yeah. It is noble to fight for your second, third, fifth chance, whatever it is. And the renaissance here is notable. It, it might not meet the eye 
to an outsider in the way it does to the people here. But I can tell you the Cleveland of 2023 compared to the Cleveland of 2011 when I yeah. got here yeah. is night and day different. And I'm sure the Cleveland of 2035 will be the same way. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's all about that resilience and that grit and, and that toughness. Thank you for listening to the Rust Belt Rundown. We'll be right back after a quick break. Welcome back to the Rust Belt Rundown. You you recently started a new job. Pretty cool organization. Really fits your ethos. Yeah. Why, why don't you go in for a second on, on what you're doing? Yeah, it's been an amazing three months. I started a new role as the Senior Director of Advancement at BESA down in Columbus. Big thank you to Matthew Goldstein for the opportunity that is our CEO. BESA solves a couple of different issues. First and foremost, we connect volunteers to volunteer experiences in Columbus. And you may think that's like a simple idea, but if you've ever gone to search for a volunteer opportunity or found a volunteer opportunity and then gone and have a negative experience, that has negative ripple effects and Bessa is trying to flip that. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is I've gone to a volunteer experience before and there's been too many people. I didn't really do anything. Yeah. I just took three hours out of my Saturday and I feel crappy, yeah. right? It's like, what? why did I come to this? They didn't even need you me. It was like disorganized. Yeah, and it was like, okay, great. I, I weeded for two seconds and then I left. Like, this is not what I want it to be. And so Matthew, who started the company about 11 years ago, basically said, hey, I can do better and created a proprietary platform that you can register and it's all organized, tells you everything, like where to park, all the nitty gritty details yeah. that again, seems like this seems like a no brainer, but no one was doing it. So are you guys a software company? It's funny, before I got there, they did brand themselves that way as yeah. a technology yeah. platform and has since shifted to, we are a volunteer engagement company that also offers a platform. And so now, you know, 11 years later, you can go to besa.org right now and find volunteer experiences and go. And wherever you go, the nonprofit, because of our relationship with them, first of all, knows you're coming. We have volunteer leaders at every single experience. So when you go, they check you in, they introduce you. Mm -hmm. Hello, my name is Paul. Welcome, blah, blah, blah. Here's what you're going to be doing. It's all organized and streamlined. So the nonprofit knows, the volunteer knows, and the volunteer leader knows. Everyone's on the same page. What that has evolved to is businesses in Columbus asking BESA to do that for them. Could you come and run our volunteer programming for all of our employees? And so it was like one by one. Uh, Matthew used to work at L Brands, so like Abercrombie and Fitch came on, and Victoria's Secret, and then Bath and Body Works, and Cover My Meds, and NetJets, United Way. We have about 15 partners where we are curating and creating a custom volunteer engagement program for their employees. Mm. And so that's what it's evolved to. Um, of course, we you know apply for grants and there's a whole philanthropic side as well. Um, but it's amazing work. Our team is fantastic. You want to talk about like people that give a damn and want to make society a better place um, and Columbus a better place. And there's there's really not a better way to do that than getting more involved in your community, learning about an issue, a neighborhood, a nonprofit, a problem, and meeting people that are trying to fix it. It's uh, it's powerful. So check it out, besa.org. If you're ever in Columbus and want to volunteer, that's where you go. And we'll hopefully we're expanding to Cleveland and Cincinnati soon. So stay tuned. I just you know wanted to double check this, but I always think about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. You think you get some self-actualization out of this job? I feel like you're 100%. closer to your your true north when we For talk sure. about you know your community skills and. Doesn't everybody want to wake up and 
yeah. be excited about. I just think you're really close with yes. this role. If if not there, of course, yeah. you know, you're three months in. But uh, everything I can understand about the organization seems like you found yep. your place. I agree. Uh, uh, at least for this season of your life. Yeah, because it's it's a combination of, you know, if you if anybody listens to Scott Galloway, you know, he has this viral speech of don't listen to anybody that says follow your passion. Those are just rich people that got rich and tell you to do that. And I tend to agree with him in a, a couple of aspects of that is like I'm passionate about basketball, but the ROI of a basketball for me is zero at this mm-hmm. point. But the RO, I'm quoting Gary Vee, the ROI of a basketball for LeBron James is a billion dollars, mm-hmm. right? So like my pat, I can't chase my passion. I would love to yeah. be a basketball player. Yeah. I can't be it, right? Yeah. So I think it it you got to chase what you're good at, what you can get paid for, and what does society need. Mm-hmm. Chase those three things, and if you find that, which I think I found that at Bessa, you're going to be pretty good at it. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. And I, I think it creates a bit of a conflict in people. Yeah. Which is actually, you know, nice segue to where we're going next with this conversation. You know, when it comes to business, leadership is a fun topic. You've had opportunities for leadership all throughout your life. But of course, over the last 12 years, you've been you've been around some great leaders and in in your basketball coaching career and and of course your professional career what have you seen modeled as strong leadership clear goals and expectations transparency along the way and accountability and under that accountability piece is not knowing that you don't know it all right i hate that's the worst when you meet somebody and they could not know about a subject but they talk about it like they do it's like no it's it's okay that you don't know, right? We don't know it all, right? Mm-hmm. And I think bosses that try to like mimic that or lead that way are tough. So, I mean, those are my things. It, I think it has to start with just clear goals, clear expectations so that there's no confusion. And then transparency, the best coaches that I've ever been around explain why we're doing something. There's probably a lot of times in businesses where people do a job and don't even know why they do it. Yeah. Right. Like, why are you doing what you're doing? I think that's really important. Whether it's like a three on three drill in basketball or a new research project, it's the same. You have to explain why this helps the bottom line, why this is helping our mission and vision, whatever it is. And then hold yourself accountable. Right. And all accountability means to me is you do what you say you're going to do. Like, I think it's actually that simple that people try and really make it this kind of convoluted thing. It's it's not. Did you say you were going to do this by Friday and you did? Well, then you're accountable. Right. It's pretty simple. And I think, yeah, you got to be able to have some hard conversations on accountability. But that's what I would say. I mean, you you run your own business. I'm just a I'm just a worker bee. So how have you instilled like what do you what do you do? Yeah. Well, and I'm a a constant work in progress. I, I don't know if I exemplify leadership or not, but you know we've gotten to where we are by surrounding ourselves with good people. I know that to be true. Is that uh, the saying? You know, hire people smarter than you and get out of the way. So we've been we've been fortunate to bring some really smart people into our business, and now I aim to get out of the way to uh, another if you will, leadership thing that I've learned is to thine own self be true. And so when we talk about, you know, earlier in this episode, who we are, you know, I at least have told myself that management is not really my thing. Now, again, 
I've told myself that maybe if I wanted to uh, rework that notion, that might be different. But, you know, we have great leaders in and around the business to fill that gap for me. And and to the best of my ability, I just collaborate with those leaders and and let them lead. And I collaborate with everyone. Right. But that that continual day in, day out reinforcement and coaching uh, maybe isn't my my strong suit. But I knew that to be true. And so we we've we've worked to put leaders in place to guide the team along the way. Some people really struggle with the concept of someone on their team or someone like, quote unquote, underneath them in the hierarchy, like performing well. And I've always been confused by that. Because if someone on your team is performing well, that both ways, if they're performing poorly or well, it's indicative of you and your leadership. So I've always been confused. I think I've seen some of the best leaders, basketball, again, any coaching, it's really easy to compare to, is if your assistants are getting head coaching jobs, you're doing a good yeah, job. That's tree. the whole point. You're supposed to be here for a little while and then leave. And there's that famous quote, I think we've talked about it on this podcast a bunch of times. It's like, you know, what if we train these people and invest them and they leave? And it's like, well, what if we don't and they stay? Yep. It's like, yeah. It's kind of yeah. like a no duh moment, right? Like yeah. you want people underneath you to do well and flourish and grow and leave, yeah. right? Like it is what it is. Well, and like thinking of an example, I know Annie will be listening to this episode. You know, a few weeks ago, we had a conversation about Annie of like, what skills do you want to grow here? And she told us, and we know that in the long run, these will help her with her career and somewhere else. But it's our responsibility to be certainly, you know, having our team members do their job within the scope of what we need that to be on a daily and weekly basis. But it's also our responsibility to make sure they grow as individuals and really blossom into the team member that they want to be in the long run. And and if they grow new skills, we'll find a way to use them. And if we can't, it's it's okay, right? That you know, but we've left our our team members in a better place than when they joined us beyond just the core skills that they got hired for. So yeah. All right. We're going to pivot a little bit to talking about entrepreneurship. And in 2022, Ohio saw its second most businesses ever registered, 180,000 new filings. What do you think's driving this? Like, this is this is good. I think it's purposeful collaboration amongst people we've talked to on this pilot, like Team Neo, One Columbus, mm-hmm. the Chambers. You know, I think Ohio for, you know, Every state has faults. The The pros of Ohio is that I think everyone's on the same page that they love it there and they want everyone to know about it and they want it to grow. Mm-hmm. And so the business community in this state is aligned from my vantage point. And if Cincinnati gets a win, then Ohio gets a win. Again, yep. back to the point of like, we were, I think we were talking about the difference between Columbus, but like it's Ohio first, right? There's all the t-shirts and yep. hoodies, Ohio against the world. Like that mentality seeps through in the business community. And to me, it's like how they have set up the infrastructure around encouraging business to either come here or to your point to file and you know start your own. It's encouraged. There are resources everywhere. Mm-hmm. There are full nonprofit and government organizations dedicated to helping entrepreneurs. That doesn't exist in every state. Like yeah. it just doesn't. Yeah. Um, so I think that's why, you know? And again, if we're talking like macroeconomic, like just affordability, Ohio's an affordable state compared to a lot of others. And that encourages risk takers. And of course, from a, just a geographic standpoint, like when yeah. you want to reach. What's the stat? They always, 500 miles within like half of the like US 80%, population. Like, you know, when you pull in Chicago to the. All the way to the East Coast. It's nine hours to New York, eight hours to New York. So it's like yeah. that whole East Coast you're reaching. Yeah. yeah there's some stat there. And then when share. you throw in like, you know, air travel, like 
all of a sudden, you know, Dallas and the yeah. Southeast and yeah. uh, that, that whole area becomes extremely accessible as well. You know, I think Ohio does a lot to be a business-friendly state and, and you know, continues to work at it. And, you know, there's a lot of people, like you said, focused on that. Here in Northeast Ohio, we have the Greater Cleveland Partnership, which has been a fantastic organization to stand on behalf of the business community. And, you know, I proudly lead a, a group called the Small Business Caucus, which is uh, made up of small business leaders that are focused on helping the the voices of small business to be heard in the local, state, and federal uh, governments. And so we're constantly having a dialogue with our elected officials about what it's going to take to be successful. And, you know, especially, you know, I lean towards the state house. I have found relationships are accessible in the state house and, and, our voices can be heard and change can be achieved when you have the willingness to approach those conversations with with your elected officials. They want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. And and that's a fantastic thing. Let's stay on the business topic. So a couple years ago, actually more than a couple now, you were working for a different recruiting firm in town. And I think it was probably a couple months, maybe even years in the making, but at least a couple months of you ruminating over the idea of starting your own. That leap mentally, spiritually, financially is a big jump. It's a big risk, right? To go from an employee W-2 to salaried employee to starting your own thing. And all of a sudden, you know, every decision is yours. The buck stops with you. What ultimately made you want to do that? Yeah. When we think about what made me want to do it, uh, I think about the people that were already around my life. That was a good one, right? I had examples of that. I've seen it done uh, yeah. at, at various levels. My my dad's family business, Evans Asphalt, paved the mine roads of the coal region of Pennsylvania uh, for the heavy trucks that beat it up. I had a mother who is still self-employed for probably close to 30 years now uh, as an interior designer, set in her own journey with Jenna's family. I, you know, two very successful businesses, you know, that started uh, with her grandfathers. And so, and there's more examples throughout our two families, but it just made sense. Uh, My personality type. That right there, I think it made sense for you. Yeah. I've told this story a number of times. We went out to dinner with Jenna's parents. Uh, Mind you, Jenna is pregnant, and we haven't told them that yet. But, (laughs) you know, the conversation was, hey, Taylor's starting a business. And my father-in-law's first words to me were, good, that's what you're supposed to do. Right? Like, I went to that conversation ready to answer, like, the, have you thought this through? Are you, you know, how are you guys going to figure this out? The first words were, good, good. That's almost what you're like, supposed to do. It almost felt like about time. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like This is what you're, you're meant to be doing. You know, on a daily basis, I get to cast a vision and pursue it. Yeah, execute uh, against uh, it. Yeah, execute against it. And so in EOS terms, I am a visionary. I look towards the future and, and see what's coming around the bend. And to have the vehicle to chase that vision and the team with me to do it uh, is the most humbling 
opportunity. I am beyond grateful. I'm, I'm almost at a loss for words, but I am so grateful for what I get to do on a daily basis because I know it is a blessing. And yeah. I know it is a product of hard work, right decisions, and uh, commitment to uh, what we're doing. But it it doesn't minimize how much of a blessing I see the opportunity to uh, do life on my own t- terms. And to the best of my ability, I try to create a workplace that offers that to my colleagues as well. So yeah, I mean, it's spot on. Um, Entrepreneurship in general has had a pretty good rebranding in the last 15 years. And you mentioned your motivation, you had exposure to it, your parents. There's also a lot of hard decisions. There's a lot of hard days. There's stretches where you're probably feeling just exhaustion because that jump brings a ton of joy and amazing opportunities. And to your point, you get to set your own vision, but you're, the buck stops with you, right? So you had a recent post about May is Mental Health Awareness Month, mm-hmm. right? You had a post about that and the stresses that come along with it. And I'm not saying people don't talk about that, but they certainly, do. anytime you're talking about any sort of like fun, engaging, amazing opportunity, or you're making this decision to start your own business, the first thing that people are going to say is like, hey, it's going to get lonely. Like that's not what yeah. people are going to say, but in some days it does, right? And so I think for entrepreneurs, like what would your advice be on how to combat those days where it may feel like it's all stacked against you or whatever it may be? All of what I'm about to say is going to be a little bit of the pot calling the kettle black because I, I do not live out these best examples at all times. I'm in a great stretch right now for the last month or so. And I would say for me, it is about what I've realized is I could work eight hours a day or 18 hours a day. And I don't know if, you know, working twice as long is going to have a 2x return. That's something I've learned. Nate and I will always talk about you have to give stuff time to just sit settle, mature, which is really hard yes. with my personality what type was, you are or, a as, doer. or as an entrepreneur. <laughs> like you want to go, like I've got this beautiful idea. I need it to be you done. Know, Let's actually, yeah, it's it. like yeah. the, it's like the plants we just put in our front yard. Hurry they were up. like, this is going to take three to five years to fully grow. And I'm like, what? Yeah. I need this like fully grown in it's three to five to weeks. Yeah. And so uh, three to five days, three to five hours, hours. just plant them grown. Just grow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, things need time to settle and mature. And another important thing is business, you're, you'll never be done. So there's an insanity to entrepreneurship where you can work 18 hours a day. And maybe if you're a single individual who has that off switch, that is fine with you. But for me, I have found, and I am working a really intentional path with this right now, I can crash and burn myself really hard. And yeah. it's it's not good. And it's not fun when it happens. And, and you know who really suffers with it? My family. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like there, there'll be uh, frustrating days where I can't get my head on straight and I'm frustrated towards my family unduly. You know, I'm, I'm tired. I'm run down. I might legitimately get sick. I have gotten sick multiple times yeah, where of course. the easiest thing to point to is the way my schedule has been held. Yeah. Uh, don't count for the four kids up. that we do have who bring home <laughs> yeah, germs. every germ. But, you know, overall, 
we have uh, a, a high speed business and things happen in real time. But even today, as we sit here recording this, heading into Memorial Day weekend, obviously we have Monday off for Memorial Day, but we we told the team take today too, right? And nice. and yesterday was kind of a blow off steam day as as a team as well. Yes, I I want to be working, like the, the team to be working, because I I want to get the results that we have to. But I think the ROI on their rest and our rest and is going to be way more valuable, yeah, than uh, just asking them to eke it out on you know, the Friday before Memorial Day weekend. Like the, the, you the know, returns it, are diminishing. The, the returns on, are on diminishing. <laughs> and if we miss an opportunity, hopefully that same opportunity will be there on Tuesday when we get back in the office. Well, so, that, that's like a society thing, right? Like yeah. we just, uh, Americans in general have never been good at resting, mm-hmm. taking vacation. I mean, some companies only get two to three weeks, right? Like that's a cultural society thing. And that kind of goes to one of our last questions is, is this new, you know, COVID, um, had a lot of negative effects, but it also had a lot of kind of eye-opening changes to our Mm -hmm. society, obviously remote work being number one. But now the concept of the four-day work week is like, it has steam for probably, and I mean like real steam, like companies are actually implementing it for six months at a time and testing it and seeing mixed results. But generally what we've seen from the studies and company reports are it works. Yeah. Generally. Now, I'm not saying there aren't like some companies that it flopped and you, they had to go back to Fridays. Um, I'm not saying that. I'm sure that that's real. But I think the vast majority of companies that implement it, the employees probably actually work the exact same amount, if not more, because they feel grateful. Like, God, I got Friday off. I don't care if I work till six every day, seven, someday. Who cares? I'll wake up a little bit earlier. Like, it's a, it's a give and take. And it goes back to your point of like, why am I forcing, not forcing, but like, if the debate is having my employees come in for three hours and they're going to be frustrated and annoyed, and you could just give them the day off and now they're happy to come back in yeah. on Tuesday, it seems like a no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah. We, have we you toyed have, with the four-day? No, yeah, we have. And we have yet to commit to it, but we've talked about it, right? I mean, Summer Fridays is like the next thing. So Summer Fridays, like we, have, we have already, we have that year round. So yeah, nice. we have... Anyone looking for a job in a nice culture? Yeah, we, we close have. at you know two thirty <laughs> on Fridays. That's nice. And no one's sitting there making sure you know when when you actually close your laptop on that day. Some days I'm still on till four or five o'clock. Yeah, it just changes, right? But at the end of the day, we have a company culture where it is get your work done. It's not about punching the clock. It's getting the results. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to get comfortable with. Again, as a business leader is releasing control over, you know, the, the work yeah, week. Hard. But uh, again, as we pointed out, Henry Ford conceptualized the 40-hour work week in 1927. How much of business has changed, or 26, but how much of business has changed in 100 years? And yet we haven't fully addressed the 40-hour work week. This is all tying together. What was the first question we asked? And you said, who are you? And I tried to attempt to say, like, if I could sum it up, I asked why. Yeah. This is the perfect. Why do we work five days from eight to five? Right. Why why do we do that? That's legitimately it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I know you're right. (laughs) But, like, if you asked anyone else, maybe they don't know that, right? They don't know that this was, like, a worker line productivity thing that mm-hmm. the 90% of the workforce was going to a factory to work and this is the best way that yeah. they set it up back then 
to think that we haven't that that's the insane part like how yeah. have we not evolved past it and again it goes back to like what covid did yeah right and it's like actually and again maybe we maybe we end the podcast on uh, the argument around what elon musk shared a couple weeks ago around like it's immoral if you work from home which i think is just idiotic but like the world kept spinning people in their sweatpants at home that's not every job. Every job cannot be that way, nope. obviously. But for some, it works, right? And like all of a sudden, what we knew to be true without a shadow of a doubt, which was you have to be in the office from Monday to Friday, first in, last out, hustle your ass off, figure yeah. it out, went out the window. Absolutely. Now, with that being said, that will always exist. You'll always be able to get ahead by hustling. But I think people took a step back and were like, do I need to do this? Do I need to get on the Metro North in Connecticut on 6, 17 a.m. Mm-hmm. train, get to Midtown Manhattan every single day by 8 o'clock? And I don't think I do. Yeah. Maybe two days a week works. Yeah. And that ties back to that mental health and balance. Yeah. And, and in this world where the technologies around us and what we have to process on a daily basis are evolving way more rapidly than you know, our brains can keep up. Yeah. It is more important than ever to emphasize and prioritize mental health. So we're going to land the plane on this conversation, the dining scene. And you've had to ask this to a couple people. So now I want to ask it to you. And so uh, favorite dining spots in both Columbus and Cleveland. Let's start with Columbus. I'm obviously closer to that. Hard not to start with Jackie O's for a patio and or beer and or Saturday afternoon hangout. With the Bagel Street Deli Food Truck. With the Bagel Street Deli Food Truck. So Jackie O's, first and foremost. Uh, I have, this maybe get me in trouble, who knows, but Columbus Pizza isn't good. It isn't. Cleveland Pizza is in, it's not even close how much better Cleveland Pizza is than Columbus. Um, But there are... One, two, four and a half spots in Columbus that are good. First, number one being Pauly G's, best pizza in Columbus. And then your greasy spoon spot, your, the best uh, diner in Columbus is Stav's. That's in Bexley. It's fantastic. Have to go. Cleveland is just a bunch of places you've brought me to. Mm-hmm. Um, we obviously have, t- I mean, there's been unbelievable, like, Probably everybody gives two, so there's probably a yeah. hundred restaurants yeah. or bars or whatever. We gotta have you up for a food tour sometime. Yeah, so Nano Brew we went to before a concert. That O-A-R was fan- OAR. Yep, that was fantastic. Um, we've gone to four comedy shows at Pickwick and Frolics, which I think is just an amazing name. That place is super cool. And then Little Italy, uh, Mama Santa's. Again, this goes back to you guys have better pizza than. Probably the whole state, but definitely Columbus. Can't really speak for Cincinnati. I don't know if they have good pizza. Yeah. Um, those are my spots. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. One of the values of this podcast and hosting it is just listening till the, the end. Last. Because sometimes we like, Ooh, I catch a food spot? recommendation in a community that you don't know uh, that I don't know. And it goes on the list because yeah. Jenna and I love love a good date night and and Megan a, had a couple a good ones the last out. couple episodes. She had some good ones. Yeah. Yeah, there's some really good ones. So um, thank you for coming on today. Thank you for making the drive up to have this conversation. It's a lot of fun. You know, the Rust Belt Rundown has become integral to our, you know, company's identity. And you are a A-list host. So uh, it's been great work. And I look forward to, you know, the next 43 episodes and seeing who we get for episode 100. But Yeah, man. I hope you have a great holiday weekend and thank you for coming in. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. 
The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.